So if you're having a broad and serious conversation about how to improve energy efficiency and sustainability, buildings have to be a major component of that. Otherwise, it's not a serious conversation. That's Russ Carnahan, former U.S. congressman and co-founder of the Building Action Coalition. You can talk about the transportation sector and power generation and things like that, but having the building sector organized, that's on all of us. Russ's career has been characterized by his pioneering work at the intersection of infrastructure and policy. Today, Russ explains why the building sector's voice needs to be amplified and why we need to make high performance and healthy buildings a fundamental part of both our society and our economic growth engine. I'm Rasha Hassanin, and you're listening to Healthy Spaces with Trade Technologies, a series of conversations that explores the world of indoor environmental quality from the inside out. Russ Carnahan has always been ready to fight for a just cause. He started his career as an attorney in Missouri and was soon drawn into politics where he set about enacting change on a wider scale. During his eight years in Congress, Russ was deeply invested in exploring the ways technology can improve our environments for the better. A lot of my career in public service and a lot of the work that I did in Washington really focused on the intersection of technology and policy from the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Science and Technology, and a lot of the work that I did founding the High Performance Building Caucus, really out of frustration that the building sector was really not getting a fair shake in a lot of the policy debates. And buildings oftentimes, when we were talking about energy and sustainability, weren't even mentioned. And so based on that, organized the High Performance Building Caucus, and then post-Congress, reconnected with the colleague that had worked with me back then and identified really the continuing need to build a broader, better connected coalition in the building space. And that's when we launched Building Action. So maybe you can help us a little bit from a policy perspective, understand how the building sector is different from other industries and why you felt like the building sector wasn't getting its fair shake. It's different in one way in that it's very diverse. There's so many actors uh, in this space from public sector standards groups, environmental groups, manufacturers of products and technology for buildings, and workforce and training. You know, there's so many different sectors that uniquely contribute to buildings in the, you know, residential and commercial space. And so in one way, there's an opportunity to tap into a lot of different kinds of expertise. But the challenge in the building sector has been there has not been a good, broad, connected coalition to really deliver that. And we've heard that among stakeholders in the sector. And we've also importantly heard that from policymakers in Washington, that even though they they have the good ideas to say, we want to engage with the building sector, they're not sure really how or who to do that because it's complicated. And so That's what's different and and unique about the sector, but where there's also a lot of opportunity. And that was really a big motivation behind really creating the Building Action Coalition. 
Russ co-founded the Building Action Coalition to help tap into the possibilities of the sector. He knew that putting sustainable buildings at the top of the agenda would have numerous benefits, including saving energy, protecting the environment, and creating jobs. But he also knew that to make the coalition work, it had to be built on solid foundations. There's so many coalitions out there, and we wanted to know what the best practices were. Why do people join coalitions? And why do they have value? Mainly, it's because you have a larger group that has more clout and a stronger voice. The members share information and learn from each other. And they're a resource for policymakers. And so that collection of expertise, we wanted to focus on what we believe was the number one value that we wanted to achieve. The biggest thing that was missing is there was not a national network. That was job number one, to build the network. And we wanted to wanted it to be intentionally broad. We'd broken down several thousand contacts into about 20 unique sectors from public sector, private sector, standards groups, environmental groups, religious groups, workforce. I could go on, but they each have unique things they're contributing. We wanted to have a better connection there. The pandemic threw up a lot of challenges for all of us, but for the newly established Building Action Coalition, it was an accelerator. They quickly went virtual and continued to action some of their big picture ideas. With an election coming up, they were galvanized, regardless of who would be serving at the next term. We were able to do a lot of work connecting the network with policymakers in the House and the Senate. We did a survey of federal candidates for office on buildings, which, as far as we knew, was one of the first ever to be done like that. We put together a year-end report uh, that you can find on our website, buildingaction.org. It gives a good overview of our activities. We wanted to build this so that in 2021, whoever was in the White House and the new Congress, that we could really focus on advocacy and ideas and moving that agenda. So that's been our plan from 20 to 21. We think there's going to be many substantive opportunities with legislation on infrastructure, on economic recovery, to advocate that there are major building components in those. And that's where we really want to draw on the expertise of the groups. And again, we have nonprofit groups, labor groups, business groups, major companies, really every kind of group you can imagine, but intentionally to have that diverse perspective that can really weigh in on these issues. I remember some of my early work in government relations really coming to an understanding about how critical some of this expertise is for policymakers, because policymakers have to learn so much about so many things. They really rely on these coalitions and these these industry experts to help them come up to speed quickly on the issues, right? So maybe talk a little bit about how this type of coalition could impact how policymakers engage with the industry, and what feedback do you hear from your peers on that? It really boils down to being a, a credible resource for policymakers. We've seen so many examples in history where legislation has been rushed and experts not really consulted, 
and their input not incorporated, and you can get bad results. Whereas if you have a really thoughtful engagement from experts, organizations, companies, you get a lot better result. And again, policymakers really appreciate that. One, that you've built a coalition around good ideas, but they may have concept for legislation to do things to improve efficiency and sustainability in the in the building sector, but they may not know a lot of the details that might be a practical thing for people on the ground actually executing those things. So the better you have that interchange in those relationships, you can get a lot better policy because oftentimes policy lags behind technology. And we've seen so many advances in technology and products that it really makes the point that those kind of relationships and that kind of engagement is critical. Are there any countries that you see maybe outside of the U.S. that are doing this well? Are there any best practices around the world that we can learn from here? Europe has been leading in many of these. Germany has certainly been a leader in uh, sustainability. You know, so I think there are some good examples out there. And this is certainly a, a global opportunity. And I think more and more is you're having a, a broad and serious conversation about how to improve energy efficiency and sustainability. Buildings have to be a major component of that. Otherwise, it's not a serious conversation. You can talk about the transportation sector and power generation and things like that, but buildings, 40% of our electricity uh, usage. So we have to have that as a substantial part of the conversation. And having the building sector organized, that's on all of us. Because as you know, many other sectors like transportation are better organized. That's again, makes the case uh, where it's important to, to build that and create that and contribute. I love this conversation because it's a very different take on the building sector. I mean, we've had other conversations about an individual building and the fragmentation of all of the systems. This really gets at the entire industry and helps us understand a little bit better how to impact policy around sustainability in the built environment. I don't think uh, most people are aware of the significant role that the building industry plays in economic growth, especially in recovery and resiliency from something like, you know, what we're going through right now with the pandemic. Can you maybe give us a perspective of that economic impact and the economic impact that that the building industry can have there? Absolutely. And, And I think even before the pandemic, there was a strong case being made that the building sector, building new buildings, retrofitting old buildings to be more efficient was a big job creator. Those were local jobs and many times the majority of of the work done are local companies. And so you get the economic impact of that, but you also get extra economic impact because so much of that is hyper-local. So post-pandemic, we've had this, again, there's been a, a focus on having healthier buildings for some time now, this just dramatically advanced that conversation for those important, you know, first responder buildings and essential businesses. How do we make those safer, healthier in in the process of also making them more efficient? So there's a 
entire opportunity to address both the health aspects of buildings and the sustainability of buildings that also is a gigantic job generator. So all of that fits together. And I think policymakers are beginning to have an even better understanding of that uh, and how that can be incorporated into our economic recovery strategies. And in addition to that, right, the ability of a healthy building to drive significant productivity and really lead to economic impacts on actual businesses. So there's the buildings themselves and the economic impact of the building industry. But we know that there's huge productivity gains to improving the indoor environmental quality of these buildings. These are numbers that are in the billions in terms of employee productivity of businesses that inhabit those buildings. It's a really great place to be to to really think about how do we make buildings more sustainable, but how do we really make them healthier to drive improved productivity in the businesses that inhabit them? The other point that I would, would add is from the business and corporate side of the equation, Many of them are coming to this, not that they're environmental tree huggers, but they're doing it because it's smart for their bottom line, for brand. It's something their customers want and value. So for all those reasons, you're seeing many business leaders and companies that are really looking at strategies to be more sustainable overall, but also how they can do that in their building footprint their supply chains, all of that. So it's been a a big shift. And so as you're having policy conversations, there's so much common ground on this now that didn't exist in the past. There's incredible opportunity for bipartisan work in this area as we're looking at economic recovery packages, infrastructure packages, that there are serious building components in them. It's great to hear that building and infrastructure packages have bipartisan support. After all, our businesses depend on it. For starters, the cost of employing someone is 150 times that of a business's cost for energy. And recently, the Center for Disease Control estimated the cost of absenteeism to be in the $200 billion range across the United States alone. Add to that a recent Harvard study that highlighted anywhere between 150 to 250 billion of additional costs due to productivity losses from employees working while sick. And the cost for businesses becomes astronomical. The pandemic has put a very bright spotlight on the effects of poor systems in the built environment. But if we can just make a small dent in those costs by improving the indoor environmental quality of these commercial buildings, businesses would be looking at massive productivity savings. And I think having the the experts and companies that have had experience doing that and actually have a track record and can show the data and the impact cannot stress how important that is to policymakers to understand because many don't fully understand that and to help with that education, to help us as resources, it will really help drive these ideas into policy that can actually be deployed around the country. 
Speaking of, you know, we have a new administration in place. What are some of the changes you would you'll expect to see as this new administration gets through its first sort of 30 days and and is starting to really implement change? That is a great question that a lot of folks are taking a look hard look at. I would just rewind a little bit back to the Obama Biden administration where they had engaged in several energy efficiency and sustainability measures. Obviously, it joined the Paris Climate Accords as part of a global agreement. So these things have global momentum behind them. And when the Trump administration took office and began to roll some of those things back, I didn't agree with that, but it really didn't stop the global momentum that's continuing in countries around the world. It continued in the U.S. with, you know, state initiatives, networks of mayors from cities large and small signing on to sustainability goals and practices. And so that momentum continues. And while it may have slowed from the federal government the last four years, I think it's going to dramatically change to, again, just accelerate what is already happening. Agreed. Maybe you can give us give us your own take. If you had 15 minutes with the new administration, what advice would you give them? It would be a long list, but I think the sort of big picture and concrete thing that the federal government can do is lead by example. The federal government is the biggest owner and operator of buildings in the country, not to mention what they do around the globe. And by their very practices, they can help drive the market in procurement, in standards they set for their buildings, and uh, standards they set for people, for companies that lease buildings to them. That, to me, is a major driver of what happens in the marketplace. And then you can add on to that programs, tax incentives, and minimal standards uh, for buildings that, again, will help drive that. And incorporating technologies, you know, new technologies that really dramatically change the way you can operate homes more efficiently and, and more healthy. I think that just major leading by example is my, my biggest and best advice. And I think they're already off to a good start with that, with the Biden Build Back Better plan to really dig into some of these practices. And I think you're going to see that as a big priority. And what I love about that advice is that it is wholly within their control. Like, it's not like they're trying to influence a big industry to do something different. This is like they're spending their dollars. How did they make their dollars set the example for the market? So I, I love that. That's that's awesome. So what do you think will change in the next five years as a result of research and technology, what do you think will change as it relates to maybe consumer sentiment with respect to sort of the built environment and or indoor environmental quality? I think it's a combination of policy and technology and values. I think more and more, particularly younger generation, interested in all things sustainable and really reducing their environmental footprint 
their technologies that are making that easier and better all the time that you can manage with apps in your phone, you know, that just weren't, were unthinkable even a few years ago. And I think from the policy perspective, I think there's a, even a, a growing understanding of that policies matter from the government leading by example to incentives to basic standards. And so I think all those things together are really going to make a, a dramatic difference in, as I said, is it what uh, has global momentum behind it. And it, it really unleashes a lot of American and global innovation and ideas and creativity on how uh, we can do things differently from the way they've been done in the past. And so to me, it's an exciting time. There's lots of room for people to be involved in that and really make a difference. So given your time in in both your state and the federal government, what advice would you have for our listeners on how they can advocate for healthy and efficient buildings with their local and federal governments? What can our listeners do? Be good citizens from your local town to your state and federal officials. Be engaged with them. Elected officials normally like to hear from their constituents. They like ideas. They like things that have a positive impact for people in their community. Every individual citizen can be involved and be a resource and then use their own networks, whether it's your local church or charitable organization or your company or your business. Those networks, you know, they all have national and state associations. You know, if you're in the hotel industry, there's a national organization. It doesn't matter what the industry is. And virtually every industry in the country has some kind of sustainability goal or initiative within it. I've heard you talk a lot about religious organizations and their impact on the building segment. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what people can do with their religious organizations, what religious organizations can also do in this space. Well, it's a great example of how people can get engaged in their community. And many people, you know, regardless of your uh, religious affiliation, there's a general deep belief that people should be good stewards of the planet. We have an important religious coalition on the environment active in building action. And they've told us that after the federal government, uh, churches and religious organizations are like the number two owner and operator of buildings. And so if you look at that value system and the enormous footprint of the buildings, again, you see more people trying to put those values into action. And so I think it's another example locally, right in your backyard, at your home, religious organizations, how they can begin to make a difference. Every segment of our diverse society has an important role to play. And as Russ explains, it's when we all come together that the real magic happens. So if you look at the big picture, every different part of our country has a way to contribute. You know, if you think about all the different unique groups that are on the front line now with hospitals, schools, grocery stores, hotels, churches, restaurants, theaters, all of those have national association. They're trying to figure out 
How can they reopen safely and efficiently? How can they contribute to the economic recovery and the collective impact of coordinating with national policymakers to help do that can really be dramatic, in my opinion, and overall help us reach the goal of transforming America's buildings. Russ's incredible work with the Building Action Coalition is an asset to our society. Now, more than ever, we need passionate and informed guidance that can reach every level, from policymakers and organizations right down to the individual. And good policy modeling from the U.S. has the potential to influence better practices around the world. If we all start to work together towards a single common goal around healthy and efficient spaces, the impact we'll have on the built environment will leave a powerful legacy for the next generation. You've been listening to Healthy Spaces with Train Technologies. I'm Rasha Hassening. For more information on our conversation with Russ Carnahan, see the show notes in your podcast app. This is the sixth and final episode in our first series, but you can go back in your feed and listen to all of the conversations we've had with experts, academics, and disruptors that are changing our spaces for the better. And don't forget to hit subscribe to hear future episodes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon.